0: did say hello to your neighbor this morning. God from whom all blessings flow. This morning, I want to draw your attention to a little website that's on the back of the bulletin insert. It's called Debt Snowball Calculator. A couple of weeks ago, Javon shared a wonderful lesson with us about the importance of being good stewards of our money, not only at home but within the church. And he talked about the challenges of debt. Do you remember some of that? Those of you who are with us? Well, this is a wonderful little tool. And if you want to get out of debt, honestly, the quickest way to do it is to snowball it. And you either take your highest interest rate or whatever. I'll let you play with the calculator yourselves. But I want to encourage you to go to that website, play with the calculator, and get out of debt. It's a cool thing to be debt-free. Few of us know what that's like. Few of us have been there. Few of us got out of that habit and got back into debt. It's a wonderful thing to be debt-free. Um, I'm just, I don't mind telling you this I played with this little calculator at home and uh, in about nine months I won't have any more debt except for a house in Texas and in 24 months that house will be paid for yay for me and my wife that's cool now you have to commit to doing it that's the only thing you have to commit to doing it so I just want to encourage you to take a look at that little calculator play with it and see what you can do see what you can do I'll also share this with you we owe about $1.8 million on this church building in which you're sitting right now. Now we're running in the black on the day-to-day budget, but we still have $1.8 million that we owe on this building. And we're making an interest-only mortgage payment. We're not paying anything on the principal, which is sad. So we've got to pay this thing off. Do you realize, because I use the debt calculator to do this, do you realize that if we add another $10,000 a month to what we're paying in less than 15 years, we'll have this building completely paid off? That's pretty cool. We only need ten more thousand dollars a month. (laughs) So we're kind of in the black, but we need some more money to do that. And ten thousand dollars divided by 185 people is like fourteen dollars a week per person. That's a lot for some families to consider. But for some of you, you could do that easily and you could make up for the rest of the people on the aisle that's sitting beside you. So I just want to throw that out there for your consideration. I want you to spend a little bit of time with that calculator and see what it does for you. It's a really, really cool website. It can open your eyes to some things that might be powerful to you. So, let me get into the lesson. This morning we're going to be talking about our glorious ministry. The scripture reading was 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 18. Bill, thank you for reading that for us and leading us in a prayer. I'm not going to read all of that text again for you. We'll, we'll look at a couple of things. But this is a transition In conversation with you over the last several weeks, we've talked about stewardship. We've talked about the importance of the ministry that we have, the ministry of reconciliation, and how that our lives as believers in Christ are are one that carries a tremendous responsibility to reach out to those who are around us to help them in the restoration of that friendship relationship that that we all had with God at one time back in the original day. And then we talked a little bit about the fact that we have this responsibility of being ambassadors for Christ. And wherever we go, wherever we speak, however we interact with people, we have a responsibility to be an ambassador of Christ. i got to tell you a funny story. I was sitting on the boat this morning, and you know when you live on a boat, you can hear your neighbors. Like if they sneeze, you can hear them. If they're making coffee, you can hear them. If they're sitting on their boat and having a conversation with a friend, you can hear them. And one of my neighbors was having a conversation this morning with another gentleman on this boat, and I heard everything that he was saying, and about every other word was an F-bomb. And if you don't know what that is, look it up in the dictionary. (laughs) But it was not a very pleasant conversation to sit and listen to as I'm studying my lesson. It just, it was hard to stay focused on my lesson. But I offer that to you simply to realize this, we are all ambassadors of Christ and I know what kind of an ambassador he was being this morning, and it wasn't one for Christ, if you get what I'm saying. We have a responsibility when we are in the world and awake to be an ambassador and to be a group of people who are committed to restoring this relationship that God wants to have with us. That's our job. Now, the coolest thing about this is it truly is a glorious ministry. And that's what Paul alludes to in Second Corinthians chapter three. He talks about this being a glorious ministry. And that word glorious is one of those fun words we use a lot. It's one of those religious kind of words sometimes that we use. And we think, well, what does glorious mean? What in the world does it really mean to be glorious? Well, it's an amazing thing. It's an awesome thing. It's a wonder-filled thing. That's what glorious is. And so when when you look at what Paul is saying in these verses of Scripture, he says that if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? God was filled with His glory when He gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Go back to the passage in Exodus 33 and 34, and you'll see that when God has scribed on the Ten Commandments, He places Moses in the rock, and and Moses says, Now show me your glory. If we're going to take this message out, and you're going to go with us, show me your glory. And God says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet... I don't leave the guilty unpunished. That's His glory. And that's what Moses was asking to see. And God showed it to him. And so when you and I go into the world and we begin to live the lives that we're called to live and we begin to go out and share the message of Jesus, when we're the ambassadors, when we have this ministry of reconciliation, when we engage in this glorious ministry, you and I now are living a life with unveiled faces that reflect the Lord's glory. And we're being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from His Spirit. This isn't a one-time deal. It isn't that the fact that you were baptized and now you're glorious. It's a transformation. And transformation takes a long time. If any of you can remember like sixth grade science class or maybe eighth grade or ninth or tenth grade biology, whenever you took that course in school, you you maybe were shown a video of a little moth or caterpillar going through the process of spinning the cocoon around itself and and eating all those leaves before it did and then spinning the cocoon and then the the time-lapse photography that shows that it that in the in encased in this little cocoon, this caterpillar, this this moth develops wings and as it grows stronger and stronger it starts beating its wings and finally it breaks out of the cocoon and can fly away. It's transformation. That's what God has called us to. He's called us to be transformed. And transformation doesn't happen just once. The day that you're baptized, yes, you're born again and you're given a brand new life. But that's not the only time that transformation happens. Transformation happens over and over and over again in in an ever-increasing little bit. The most recent transformation that I had was Friday. I was driving home from Phoenix. And I left Phoenix about 1130 in the morning. And if you leave from Phoenix at 1130, guess what time you hit LA? Rush hour traffic, baby. It was great. It was amazing. I'm on the 60. I'm going all the way to, over to uh, Culver City. Lynn was at our son's place at Culver City. And I was going over there to pick her up from work. And I'm driving across the 60 going west on the 60. And traffic is flowing at 11 miles an hour. And I have 52 miles to go. And I called her on the phone, or she called me, I don't remember which it was. And verbally, I kicked the cat and killed the dog. And we don't own either one of them, but I kicked the cat and killed the dog, baby, because I was frustrated with the traffic, and it was driving me crazy. And I told her, I said, I need to move. I want to go live under a rock, because I'm sick of this traffic. And I hung up. And in a couple of minutes, it hit me. Ed, that was about the dumbest thing you could have ever said to your wife. Because you live here for a reason, and God has you here for a reason, so you better get over this thing. Do you guys remember, I don't, know, I don't remember the name of so. show, I want to say it was moving on up or something like that, where there was this young man, tall, like this tall African-American guy named JJ, and he had this saying, dynamite! You remember that? Good times, that was it, good times. Well, I had one of those dynamite experiences in my car riding home that afternoon, because I decided right then and there, I need to change my attitude. And I need to have a little transformation. And so, I'm a big fan of Pandora. So I selected the calm music on Pandora. And as I'm driving across the 60 at 11 miles an hour, I'm enjoying this calm music. And then I begin to realize, you know what? I think I can pray right here because we're going so slow. I could almost close my eyes and get away with this. <laughs> now, I didn't close my eyes. I did keep them open. But I did start praying. And I cha- I, first thing, I changed my breathing because I was hyperventilating. And I changed my breathing and I would go and let it out slow because that's what they tell you to do to calm your nerves. And so I'm changing my breathing and then I start praying. And I kid you not, for like 27 miles on the 60, I'm praying. And it was an amazing experience praying that day. God and I had a lot to talk about. And as I finished that prayer, I'm on the 10 because it intersects with the 10. And I have eight miles to go, and it took me 47 minutes to go four miles. It was very good. (laughs) But I have to tell you, when I finished praying for that 20-something miles on the 60, I have my hands literally on top of the steering wheel like this, and they're uplifted to God because I've been praying for a long, long time, and I am in such a state of peace. And I kid you not, I am driving in traffic. And I feel like I am driving in the middle of a symphony. And me and the Lord got it together. And I'm driving, and I'm at peace, and I'm enjoying four-mile-an-hour traffic. And the cars are just slowly moving by me, and I'm passing them, and they're merging in, and I'm merging out. And there is this wonder and amazement that happened. And when I got to Thomas's house and I met Lynn, I didn't kick the dog, I embraced the dog. And he scratched me again and I bled. That's just what that dog does. He's a 120 pound beast and he jumped on me. But I was at peace and I had a wonderful visit reuniting with my wife and meeting with my son and his girlfriend, Ashley. We had a great time on on the front porch and enjoyed some time together. And then we got in the car and we went home. And it was an amazing transformation that happened because I decided to let God have my life that night. And I'm just telling you guys, God can do that for us a lot if we'll let him. Transformation is an amazing thing. And it's this ever-increasing glory that He causes and wants to bless us with. And I can tell you, my evening was much better Friday evening than it would have been otherwise if I'd have kept kicking the dog and killing the cat or whatever. It was amazing to go through that transformation. Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 9, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to mutual affection, to mutual affection, love. Which sounds very, very similar to God showing his glory to Moses when he said, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and sin. Do you see the parallels? Do you see what God wants us to become? And it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen all at once. It's a lifetime of experience. It's a lifetime of changing. It's a lifetime of being transformed into His likeness. And someday all of us will lay here before the church and we'll have a funeral. And we get to go home. But between now and then, God has called us to live in a wonderful way. So we need to possess these qualities in increasing measure. And they will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive and our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it will cause us to be able to share things with other people and live our lives with other people in a way that they see the change. They see the little bit of change, however microscopic it might be, but they see the change in our lives. And they see hope for themselves. And they see that there truly is a reason why we do what we do. I want to share a little story with you. I've shared some of this with you before, but I'm going to tell you the whole story. Because sometimes, sometimes, we need to go through transformation. And in the course of our transformation, we get to witness and live others' transformation as well. Three or four people had told me about this guy who had his boats in my slip. I'd secured a slip in advance in anticipation of launching my first project boat. It was a 45-foot steel-hulled houseboat. And it had holes in it this big when I got it in the bottom. I went to the marina a few times to try to find this guy who apparently had boats in my slip. I could never find him. Finally I run across him and I see him and I kinda catch him off guard. I introduced myself to him and I said, hey I'm the guy that owns this slip. And he started making all kinds of apologies for having boats in my slip because the day that I met him he had three. Two sailboats and a little powerboat in my slip. He kept talking and talking, and the more he talked, the deeper the hole got. The more excuses we make, the deeper it gets sometimes. You know, it's kind of like when you tell a lie, you just kept to keep telling lies to cover up, and the lies just get deeper and deeper. And I told him, I said, Johnny, I don't care that you have boats in my slip, because I don't need the slip today. But there will come a day when I will need it. Until then, it's okay. I could tell by the look on his face that he was relieved. We talked a few more minutes, and I asked him, I said, do you live here? He said, yes. And I said, then, do you have any coffee? And he said, sure. And so we walked down the dock, and we went to his boat, and he made coffee. And we sat on the front of his boat, which looks almost exactly like the one here in the picture, We sat there for probably a good hour and a half, two hours just talking, getting acquainted. Maybe it was a conversation. Maybe it was the fact that I was willing to let him use my slip for free. But nonetheless, we hit it off pretty well and he invited me back for coffee anytime. He said, I'm getting old and I can't do what I used to be able to do. And that was his introduction to me to get my head stuck in a hole to do things he couldn't do. It's funny sometimes how time can change things for people. That boat project I believe was going to take three or four months ended up being a little over a nine month project. All the while Johnny and I had more and more opportunities to get acquainted because I went and chatted with him and messed around with boats with him and had coffee with him. Somewhere Somewhere in our conversations, I don't remember exactly where, but somewhere in the conversations, it became obvious to him that I was a Christian, and it was obvious to me that he was barely a believer, if at all. It's kind of hard to tell what causes people to begin the journey of walking further and further away from God, but the only redeeming thought that I hold for so many is this. It's from Proverbs. Train a child in the way he will go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Seeds of faith and God's love had been planted in Johnny's mind years earlier because he grew up in West Memphis, Arkansas, and he went to a little Baptist church, and he went to church the whole time he was a kid until he joined the Navy. And we're sitting on his boat one day, and something had happened in the world that got his attention, and he asked me this question. He said, Ed, why do those people over there in the Middle East not read and believe the same Bible that you and I believe? To be honest with you, I was absolutely shocked at his statement and his question. Because prior to that question, he and I had had many conversations about God and believing in God and our need for Jesus And I had literally racked my brain out trying to figure out exactly what to say to him to help bring him closer to a decision to accept Jesus. His follow-up question was this. Do you think we'd be fighting them if we all believed the same Bible? I didn't have a very good answer for either one of those questions. But I knew at that moment God had used the events of the world to cause him to begin his journey home. And I wish I could tell you about some great conversation we had had or some wonderful words of wisdom that I had shared with him that caused him to make the decision, yes, I need Jesus as my Savior, and, and turn his life around. But honestly, I went home. From that and many more conversations. And he stayed on the boat. And God kept working on his heart. Because over the next few months and even truly years, the conversations about faith and one's need for Jesus and grace and forgiveness and prayer became a part of our normal conversation. And after a few years, Johnny did make some dramatic changes in his life. And he even asked me to baptize him again. His heart had been changed. and his vision was clear. And his destination was secure. I had the opportunity to talk with him just a few days before he died. He talked about his wife and his daughter and his plans for them. We talked about his physical weakness due to the heart, due to the heart condition that he had and we talked about his readiness to go home to the father. And I asked him, I said, Johnny, are you ready? to be welcomed home, are you at peace with God and ready to meet Jesus? And he simply replied with all of my heart. A couple of days later, his wife Marie called me and she said that Johnny was driving to the store that morning, he'd had a massive heart attack and his truck ran off the road and it was stopped by a fence. And I had the privilege of sharing with Marie the last conversation I had with Johnny about his faith. And I reminded her of the decisions and the changes that he had gone through in the years that we had been acquainted. You see, more often than not, it just simply takes time. And it takes God's Holy Spirit to bring a person back from the darkness of the world and into the glorious light. I don't believe that I ever really shared any words with Johnny that were specifically responsible for his decisions. What I did, though, was share my time and my desire to be a reflection of the glory of God. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Who is slow to anger who abounds in love and faithfulness and he maintains love to thousands if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious how much greater is the ministry that brings righteousness and how much more glorious is our ministry you see, guys, we live in an amazing world. And we live in a time in the world where anything and everything is happening and it's off the charts. And people are being bombarded from right and left, pulling them this way and pulling them that way and pulling them this way and pulling them that way and pulling them virtually everywhere except to God. And He's called us and He's given us this Spirit of reconciliation. He's given us this ministry as ambassadors. He's given us this glorious ministry to call people home to God. And it isn't the words. It's the time. And it's the commitment of our lives to invest in the lives of other people to just be there and to be the light that shines in whatever darkness they may be in. So I invite you this week and next week and the week after to be a part of this glorious ministry that is truly a reflection of the glory of God. We're going to sing this song, The Wonderful Grace of Jesus. There is nothing that is more powerful in our lives than the grace of Jesus, the grace of God that sent his son to us who died on the cross for our sins. As we sing this song, I invite you to embrace that grace, and to make a decision, a very concerted, purposeful decision this week, to take the grace of Jesus with you. If we can help you in any way, would you come and let us know as we sing this song? Let me invite you to stand. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall His praise be?